Thanks, guys. Well, it's good. It's tough knowing what your dad wants sometimes, isn't it? And uh, I, I find being a dad really interesting. Sometimes I'll, um, I'll say something and I can see my kids stop and look at me and sort of process what I'm saying, trying to work out what I mean, where I'm coming from. And a classic example um, is if I'm trying to communicate something strongly to them. I can see them reacting to my body language and assessing the depth of my words and trying to apply what I'm saying to them. And of course, I'm doing the same back, uh, watching and listening to their responses. Um, it doesn't even need to be when I'm cross. Actually, so, some, the more interesting times are when I'm trying to encourage them um, and get, get them to step out of their comfort zones a little bit more, to do something brave, something I know, um, is okay, is intrinsically safe for them, um, but they're scared, they're nervous, uncomfortable, and the, the words of encouragement they hear from me, their dad, are directly opposite of what they're feeling at that time. So it's a real battle against fear. And we can all be on both sides of that fence, as well as encouraging others to step out of their comfort zones. We also have our comfort zones, and our hearts respond to challenge in a mixture of ways. So, uh, sometimes when we're encouraged into an area we feel is right but challenging, our feelings can prevent us from growing uh, uh, and, and sort of stepping out into that challenge. Sometimes it's great and we overcome them. We're going to be hearing a little bit more about that. So just like the game we've played about knowing uh, the Father's heart, knowing God our Father's heart, and being aware of how our own hearts respond to God is an important concept. It's important for a number of reasons. Knowing God's heart is important firstly because he made us. God tells us in the Bible that he knitted us in our mother's womb. God does knitting. And it's a little more complex than the knitting that traditionally grannies do. Um, but God claims to have made you. And if he made you, then what's on his heart for you is important. Secondly, it's important to know what's on God's heart because he also claims to have known you before you were born. Now, that doesn't mean he's decided everything for you, but he sits outside of time and knows the end from the beginning. And we're not going to delve deep into that today, but suffice to say, he knew you before you were born. Again, what God has on his heart for you is important. Thirdly, it's important to know what God's heart is for us because God created the world with a plan and a purpose. And he invites everyone, every individual, to participate in his plans or choose to live outside of God's plans. You have free will. But he encourages us to work with him as a co-worker rather than against him. Fourthly, it's important to know God's heart, what God's heart is, because God's heart warns us that we need to be careful with our hearts. The decisions we make are so important that in his word it says this in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What we allow into our hearts, God says, makes a difference for all of this life. And this life makes a difference for all of eternity. So we've seen a few reasons why our 
heart for God and his heart for us is important. And the relationship between ourselves and God is really important to God the Father. So important, in fact, that he was willing to send Jesus to bridge the gap between man and God. To open up an opportunity for us to have a relationship with him. And it's with all this in mind, I want to share with you a parable that Jesus told that reveals how to understand part of our hearts and will point us to something of God's heart for his people, plans and purposes in this world at the present time, plans that the Bible teaches will make a difference for eternity. So I want to share with you a parable that Jesus taught. It's in Luke 8, and then we can have a closer look at what I believe God's put on my heart to share with you today. It's the parable of the sower. And it goes like this. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell amongst thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And when Jesus had said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And Jesus' disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. Jesus told uh, the disciples that he was speaking of the knowledge of God, the plans of God. What was on his father's heart? And then Jesus goes on to do something really helpful to us. He explains the parable to the disciples, and we get to be the beneficiaries of that explanation, as Luke records it too. So back to the parable. Jesus says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy, when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. The seeds that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Jesus makes really clear that he's explaining people's hearts and how those hearts receive the life-giving word of God. In verse 11, he says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. And then in verse 15, Jesus explains the soil is our heart, where he says, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. So in a moment, I'd like to I'd like us to take a quick look at what Jesus helps us understand about our heart. And in particular, how it responds to the word of God. Uh, that is the things that God says to us through the Bible and by his Holy Spirit. But before we look into that in detail, I'd like to summarize the different hearts very briefly. And I'd like you to decide as you start to listen, what sort of heart you're going to have? What sort of heart you're not going to have? 
And Jesus, so Jesus highlights the four different hearts in the parable. One heart that allows the devil to take away what's been sown. One heart that starts well, but is shallow and falls away. One heart that gets choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures. Or a heart that hears God's word, perseveres, matures and produces fruit. So let's look at the different hearts in slightly more depth and how they affect the sowing of the word of God that Jesus talks about. So firstly, the seeds that fell along the path. Verse 12, those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Has this ever happened to you? In the moment you hear God's word, you know it's right. You know with all your heart that God is calling you. You know you should respond. And then Jesus says, the devil comes and steals the word from your heart. There may be words of salvation for your souls, words of comfort or direction, words of prophecy, words of acceptance and love that get stolen away and rob us of the identity that God is offering us. They may be words of correction and restoration. They might be words of encouragement to step out and do something different than you normally would. I remember a time when I was walking with a friend and we, we walked past a guy begging on the street. Uh, I knew he was okay because there was a homeless hostel just around the corner. He was not too badly dressed. And I have to say, I didn't feel compassion at the time. He seemed okay, especially compared to seeing lepers in the Middle East or kids on the streets in India starving. So the person I was with suggested they bought them a coffee and I managed to give a pretty fast, intellectual, convincing argument on why the guy begging was just fine. And just a few paces later, I realized how wrong I'd been. God had moved their heart to buy this guy a coffee and my intellectualism had risked stealing the word of God that had been planted in their heart at the time. Immediately, I took back what I said and we went and we did what we felt God was prompting. And that's just one example of one seed that nearly got stolen, didn't thankfully. But multiply that by thousands of seeds in people's lives, in millions of people, and we can start to see why the majority of the world remains unsaved at this time. That was the first seed and ground that Jesus describes. Uh, the second is the seeds that fell on rocky ground. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word, of jo uh, the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. The seed needs a receptive place to be fruitful and to mature. And it's the same concept with our hearts and the word of God. The, wor the word needs to be able to put down roots in our hearts and start to grow and develop. The rock doesn't yield to the work of the seed. Imagine a seed that lands on a rock and the sun's beating down on it. The rain just running off the rock, not watering the seed. The seed has no chance of survival. Rocky ground or a hard heart that doesn't yield to the seed and the seed needs to grow will leave seeds exposed and vulnerable. 
Do we have areas of our hearts that are resistant to what God might be saying? Because we don't like it, or we're just not going to accept what he says? The risk Jesus highlights here is the hard hearts can fall away in a time of testing. The word of God read to our hearts with no roots is at risk. And if we've refused to apply it before, then we're likely to refuse to apply it again. We need to be used to yielding to the work of his life-transforming work, a word and Holy Spirit in our lives. And refusing to apply scripture to our lives is dangerous. Not just because we're not aligning ourselves with, with God's plans, but because we're teaching ourselves that ignoring God is okay. So Jesus first spoke about the seeds on the path, second the seeds on the rocky ground, and now thirdly the seeds that fell amongst the thorns. And verse 14 says, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they don't mature. And you know, I think for us in this part of the country, in Royal Tunbridge Wells, this is one of our greatest risks to our faith. The town is predominantly very affluent compared to many places in the UK and around the world. We live in lovely neighbourhoods, but the pressures are there to keep up with the neighbours. And ironically, the more pleasures, the more pleasure-filled and luxurious our lifestyles are, the more we worry about losing the pleasures and riches. And yet hidden below all of this affluence, le pleasure, leisure, riches and outward prosperity, many people's lives are Christless and actually a mess. So I find it interesting that Jesus holds up life's worries, riches and pleasures together uh, as risks um, to what? Worries, riches and life's pleasures outside of God's pleasures are risks to our Christian maturity. Jesus said they choke us. Some of this in part down to is in part what down to what we even think Christian life is, and matching it with our expectations of when we first came to Christ. Sitting down and chatting with someone that has bought into a false Christianity that promises financial prosperity and all of their problems wiped away, perfect health sparkly white teeth, and a lifestyle that can include godless pleasures is usually only discovered after they've fallen away. Frequently, they could say Christianity doesn't work when really they're saying the Christianity they bought into doesn't deliver the idyllic life that was promised to them, at least not in this world. The Christianity that we are called into is a life of discipleship. Trusting God to pay the price for our sins. Repentance and a recognition of who God is that leads to celebration and worship and sacrifice and trusting in the hard times. In all things, glorifying God. Equipped by the Holy Spirit who brings the word alive to us and equips us with spiritual gifts and fruits of the Spirit to strengthen his church and to bless others. We're talking about the risk of the Christian's life being choked by pleasures, riches and worries like thorns around a plant that choke. Can I ask, are there thorns in your Christian life? Pleasures, riches or worries that choke you? 
I'm not saying that any of these things are by default wrong. But I believe they're highlighted as, as things in this world that will take your eyes off Jesus and permit your heart to hope and trust in things apart from God, to find pleasure in things apart from God. And different levels of those will affect different people in different ways. So can I encourage you to question your hearts in the days ahead? See if there's anything you seek pleasure in that's not of God. Are you trusting in your bank account more than God? Are there things you worry about? If there are things then, whatever they are, are likely to be the things that risk controlling your heart. Finally, the fourth seed Jesus talks about. The seed that landed in good soil. And he says this, verse 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So Jesus in his parable reveals how our hearts respond, first to the gospel, then through retaining and persevering, how we mature in the rest of God's amazing word. And Jesus emphasizes the hearing, retaining, and persevering in the word as seeds that land in good soil. And that's great for the understanding of our own hearts, but Jesus is also giving us a glimpse of God's heart and other people's hearts. You see, we're going to change direction now because Jesus threw in a plot twist towards the end. And just like the twist in the plot of a great story that takes a story to a, another level and blows your mind, Jesus drops in a comment towards the end of this verse that does exactly that. I wonder if you spotted it. Jesus said, those who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. If you haven't spotted it, I'll tell you in a moment. But this twist in the parable's plot should suddenly throw us right back to the beginning of the parable to answer a really important question that we haven't asked yet. Who's the sower? And here's a plot twist. You see, the good soil produces a crop. The good receiver of the seed becomes the producer or sower of a good crop. Jesus explains that the sown becomes the sower. Plot twist. We're called to hear the word, retain it, grow in it, persevere in our growth and produce a crop of our own. Can you see God's plan? God's heart meets our hearts and through that meeting, God's plans are continued through generations as we live out the real reason God created us. Gospel seeds sown starting 2,000 years ago with Jesus, now echoing up through the centuries where the seeds of the gospel are carrying forward through generation to generation of believer to this present day. And God willing, will stretch forward into the future until Jesus returns. Can you see God's plan at work? God's heart, meeting our hearts. His plans and purposes revealed and us, created by him for his purpose, responding to his life-giving word and going and becoming so as ourselves for his kingdom, for his glory. So I'd like to spend a few minutes um, about how to start sowing. Um, I think it's important to realize that it's important to God. Uh, and it's actually part of his plans for your life, my life, that we would receive his word, retain it, persevere in it, 
and produce a crop. There is no other good seed in this parable. In Matthew 28, in what's called the Great Commission, Jesus says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. A disciple is someone who takes God's life-giving seed to heart and is changed. Good and godly things grow in their lives and they become fruitful in the life that God gives them. And God's plan for this time in his calendar is for you and I, us, to be disciples that lead others to him and disciple them. So it would help to be aware of how others' hearts are likely to respond to the gospel and not be afraid of how that feels to us. Sometimes because we get a positive response and it's worth every pushback you get. So as we share with others, sadly, we will see hearts that allow the devil to take away what's been sown. Sadly, we will see hearts that start well but are shallow and fall away. Sadly, we will see hearts that get choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures and don't mature. But praise God, we will also see hearts that hear God's word, persevere, mature and produce a crop themselves. We need to accept there will be seeds that we sow that will not bear lasting fruit and this should not stop us sowing. We should not fear failure because it's not our failures that other hearts choose how to respond to the gospel. Our job is to serve and to sow. So far we've looked at the ways that our hearts and others' hearts respond to the word of God and we've discovered that Jesus describes a good heart as one that retains God's word, perseveres in it, and then produces a crop. And we've looked at the sower, who the sower is and discovered that the sower is us, you and me, retaining God's word and sowing his word to others to produce a crop. They're amazing truths. I find them challenging. But I'm left with one last question. And it's this. Where's the field? God is big. His plans are big for the salvation of as many who will accept his life-giving offer. But they have to hear the gospel, to hear the word of God for seeds to, to be planted. And we've already talked about what a disciple is, and we, as disciples of Jesus, are commissioned by Jesus to go and make disciples. So we have to bring this question of where is the field into a personal perspective. We're in this town, working where you work, living on the street where you live, and wherever you are, his call is for you to go and make disciples. Or if you're not a disciple, to become one and then start making disciples. Can I encourage you to start to dream about what our town and our families could look like if we started living this more? So often we just carry on day in, day out on the same old treadmill, never stepping out of rhythm never reaching out to those around us, but I believe God has so much more for us and so much more for other people. Dream big, friends. Dream big about sharing the good news and then start small. Start to just step out a little at a time 
And just maybe, maybe one or two of those dreams might happen. Not by dreaming about them, but by getting a passion for them and doing something about it, persevering and sharing the gospel. God has placed us here, a church bang in the center of town for a reason. To hear his word, to grow and sow, bringing many to him in the process. And I, w- I want to close this morning with some dreams for Thomas Wells. Because I believe God might be in some of them. I want to share some seeds with you. Share some vision and passion for Tunbridge Wells with you that we might encourage one another, work with one another to make Christ known more in this town that we live in. And many of the dreams I want to share are probably unobtainable. Many probably won't happen until Jesus returns. But they're seeds. Some might be existing ministries that are at work already. There's lots of great Christian ministries at work in and around Tunbridge Wells. But it's God's desire that we live for Jesus as a disciple that disciples every day. So a few dreams. No doubt you'll have your own to add. But I dream of a day when all Tunbridge Wells knows Jesus. I dream of a day when When families that were once broken and shattered will be healed. I dream of a day when kids will delight in God, singing his praises as they walk through the streets. I dream of a day when the hungry no longer exist. And I dream of a day when abuse and divorce rates in Tunbridge Wells are zero. I dream of a day when adultery and cheating are never thought of in Tunbridge Wells dream of a day when the Muslims in Tunbridge Wells know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. A dream of a day when we truly love our neighbour. And a dream of a day when we can walk down the streets at night safely as people are filled with the Spirit and not with alcohol. A dream of a day when shop owners dare to close on a Sunday. And a dream of a day when there's no more murder or suicide in Tunbridge Wells. dream of a day where Tunbridge Wells is drug-free because of a move of God amongst the drug users and drug dealers in Tunbridge Wells. A dream of a day when people forgive each other because Jesus has forgiven them. And you know, church, I, I, I dream of a church that decides to be definers of a new phase of history in Tunbridge Wells. I dream of a church where dreams connect with actions and souls are saved. I dream of a church that decides that they are going to be the generation that takes Christ to every man, woman and child in Tunbridge Wells. Can you hear the heart of the Father this morning? Can you see what a town could look like if we took people took God's promptings, God's good news, his his word, his seeds to heart and then let them grow and be fruitful. I'm going to end with this. If you're sitting here as someone who hasn't accepted God's seed into their life yet, who hasn't asked Jesus to be Lord and Saviour of their life, 
with the Father standing right behind you, just like in the game we saw earlier and we played earlier. If the question was asked, do you know the Father desires a relationship with you? So much he sent Jesus to die for your sins and is calling you to be a disciple. How will you respond to him? Will you turn to him? And in the same way, if you're sitting as someone who knows God and the question is asked, are you willing to go to sow seeds of God's word to draw others to him? What would you say? Can we dream together and then reach out to those around us in Tunbridge Wells? Could it be that we can define a new story starting in Tunbridge Wells? story of a church that chose to increase how they made a difference or do we go down in history as a generation that failed the next one Proverbs eleven thirty says this he who is wise wins souls are you going to be wise are you going to take the seeds planted today and retain it to win souls to produce a crop are we going to rise to the challenge? If there are things God's put on your heart that you want to look at further, we're here. Come talk to Stuart, myself, your life group leader. Let's encourage one another to take what God is planting in our hearts and grow and produce a crop. Look to God the Father. I believe he wants to encourage us all to step out of our comfort zones, to be brave. We know it's intrinsically safe, but the times We'll be scared, nervous, uncomfortable. And the words he says will feel opposite to how we feel. Yet he calls us to sow and make disciples. Let's not miss the opportunity to make a difference to the generation that we've been planted in, friends. Amen.